Hello and welcome to the first season of the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon, based in a Lehigh Valley part of Pennsylvania. I'm a 1997 graduate of the College of New Jersey with a journalism degree who has worked in sports media for 25 years. For the last three months, I have been sending daily journalism salutes on social media, pairing them with donations to a wide range of journalistic organizations. My intent was to counter cries of fake news, lamestream media, and enemy of the people by doing a little of whatever I could each day to help. The next phase of this project is to learn more about the groups that I've been saluting. That's where these interviews come in. Who are these groups? What do they do? What do they do best? And why are they so important to our present and our future? We'll talk to people from a diverse set of organizations to try to learn more. Thank you for joining me. On today's show, we're joined by Michelle Faust-Ragavan, the West Coast Region Manager for the Solutions Journalism Network. The Solutions Journalism Network was co-founded by Tina Rosenberg, David Bornstein, and Courtney Martin. Tina and David are New York Times writers. All three have written multiple books, with Tina winning the Pulitzer Prize and National Book Award for one of hers. I'll let Michelle explain what this group does. She's based in Pasadena, has a decade of experience reporting and hosting in public broadcasting has covered health policy in New York and California, and has also covered education. She has a TEDx talk titled, Finding the Hidden Stories in the Media. She's trilingual and is a longtime Spanish professor at Arizona Western College and a mentor editor for NPR's Next Generation Radio. Michelle, this isn't a news outlet. This is a group that teaches. What is the Solutions Journalism Network and how does it work? We are a network. So basically what we do is we have relationships with individual journalists and we have relationships with newsrooms. We will support them in creating solutions journalism. Sometimes that means some training. Sometimes that means a little bit more hands-on workshops and helping people think through the stories that they're doing. Um, sometimes that, that includes some grant funding. So we do a lot of different things and we also have a really robust website that has a lot of training for folks who maybe aren't able to meet with us in other ways. Uh, we've got little modules where people can train themselves on solutions journalism. That's what we call the hub. It's at solutionsjournalism.org slash hub. Okay, so give us a little bit more specificity as to what it means to do solutions journalism. We don't believe that reporters should never cover problems. Obviously, it is very important that we shine a light on things that are happening that are hidden. But often we're doing the same reporting over and over again about these um, things that are not so hidden or things that we've shown light on before how much more useful would it be for people to also see the solutions? And it struck me in listening to your TEDx talk about the Mexican workers and the Border Patrol agents, uh, the same thing that got me with uh, when I talked to Eve Perlman at Spaceship Media, that something like what Solutions does is very personal for you specifically. Where did this interest come from? Well, you know what? Solutions journalism, what always, um, what came to me was, I actually heard about it when they were getting started. I had an editor who told me, you know what, you should know a little bit more about this intrepid young star startup that is working in New York City um, that is trying to find solutions. And he kind of gave me a quick and dirty, rough overview of what solutions journalism was and says, your stories are too depressing, give me some answers. So I started looking into it, I started thinking about it. And what really occurred to me is that 
a lot of the reporting that I was doing was trying to shine a light on what was happening. You know, I'm Latina. I care a lot about the Latino community. I speak Spanish and, and other communities that are not being looked at and looked at fairly by many media outlets, um, black communities, Latino communities, other immigrant communities, LGBTQ folks, um, and people who are usually looked at for what they don't have and what's missing. Um, a lot of my reporting was inequity in healthcare. Now those stories that I did about inequities in healthcare were extremely important. But how much more important and how much more useful to look at ways that people are trying to fix that. Also looking at how Latinos themselves are working with their own communities to make things better and being able to see a community from both sides, not just what is missing and what is wrong, but what we're doing ourselves to fix and make things better. It's useful because there are lessons to be learned for everyone, but it's also useful to just paint a more fair picture of what is happening and not only dwelling on the things that are the most negative. So in addition to the stories that you've just talked about, I read a recent story in the New York Times. It appeared to be about prisoner reform, or it could have been about prisoner reform. Uh, instead, it was about a magician who corresponds with prisoners and teaches them magic. Uh, it's one thing to write about the need to rehabilitate and uh, raise the morale of those in prison. It's another to show someone doing it. I read another story that came from uh, surfing uh, through your library about how in Egypt, a Facebook page for missing children has helped to deal with child abductions. Again, it's one thing to report on child abductions being a problem. Uh, it's another to report on the solutions to the problem. So with that in mind, can you give me an example of a group or you, know, you can leave the name of the group out, but someone that might have come to your organization uh, with an issue that they wanted to tackle within their reporting uh, and how your group kind of coached them along the way. Absolutely. So let me just start with saying that people can find solution stories from any media. Um, it could be, let it be, you know, radio, television, podcasting, you know, come up with something new, you know, really this works for any media that we're talking about. Um, and that's at the storytracker.solutionsjournalism.org. And that's where that library of just like our huge database of, I think we're approaching 10,000 stories that are there that we vet and put there. I'll give you an example of some really great solution stories. I've been working with a podcaster that is working on a story about, um, they've just done a really great investigation on the effects of um, hate crimes that happen in, in Asian American communities since COVID. So this is a really terrible problem. They did this really great story kind of highlighting the problem. And now uh, we've been working with them to do an investigation on approaches to that fix. I'm not gonna go into all the details because that story hasn't, um, has not aired yet and I don't wanna beat them to the punch, but, but looking into communities about what people are doing to support each other and themselves extremely important. And we can also look at how well it's working. So when a newsroom, if a newsroom comes to me and says, we wanna work on whatever the issue is, we really decide like, is this a problem that's well understood? 
if it is not well understood, it's important to do those stories looking at the problem. But if you're doing that story over and over and over again, how much more useful is it to your audience to look at it from a different angle and to also get examples of solutions that might be useful? So what we really do is we talk about the four pillars of solutions journalism. That's the response, right? When we say solution, we're talking like a complete fix, like that, that's inherent in the word solution. We're not necessarily talking about that. We're talking about how people are responding to a problem to try to make it better and how it happened, really the steps that were taken. Um, the other pillar of solutions journalism is evidence. And so we really want to, as well as we can, get as much qualitative and quantitative evidence of how well that response is working. We're going to talk about those limitations because this is still journalism. After all, we're not talking about public relations. We really are talking about, you know what, these are things that are working. These are the parts that are not working. These are the people it's working for. These are the people it might not be working for as well. So those limitations are really important. And then we want to have some insights. And those are really the lessons learned um, from that response. What do we learn to understand better the problem and or the solution and really we're not talking about inspiration not like isn't it great that so and so did something nice no we really want to look at you know what was the idea what were the steps taken and how useful it was does the west coast lend itself to particular stories or or specific things that you see more uh from from the journalists that you work with more so than maybe other parts of the country yeah, it's interesting that you say that because we work internationally with um, journalists everywhere. And so really it's whatever their issues are. Obviously right now, a lot of what I've been talking to people about is wildfire. Right. Um, fire season here in California is awful. And um, it's something that, you know, people's lives are lost. There's also long-term healthcare health effects uh, for people who are breathing in the smoke from the fires. Um, so there's just a lot of things going on. Um, some of the solution stories that I've seen that have been really interesting is looking at, you know, some of the controlled burns and how well they work and the lessons that were learned from Native communities that were doing their own controlled burns well before anyone else was here because there were, you know, I think I think there's like 500 languages, if I, if I, you know, I, I'm not sure if I'm right, but 500 language groups that lived in California and, and were spoken in this state and continue, many of them continue to be spoken. Um, so lots of people were doing work to control these wildfires that already existed here forever and manage the fires in a, in a different way and a much more useful way that meant for less lives lost and, and less other problems, fewer other problems. One of the the big issues nationwide in the last couple of months has been defunding the police. And one of the things that I've seen a lot of examples of in the media are stories of other places that tried it. Uh, Camden, New Jersey seems to be one of the more popular ones, at least for the, the stories that are referenced uh, in the part of the country in which, in which I live. Uh, what have you seen with regards to the groups that have come to you or have groups come to you with uh, asking for help regarding uh, evaluating stories of that nature? Well, this is a place where our story tracker really comes into play because on our story tracker, we also will have collections of stories um, on different subjects. Um, I was a health reporter, so a lot of what I've been focusing on is around health. Um, some of that kind of has an overlap of the health and, and well-being of people who've uh, worked in prison, popula lived in prison populations, 
other things like that. So this is not my area of expertise when it comes to policing. But, you know, when we hear this, you know, when people say, you know, defund the police, I think it can be very confusing of what people yep. are referring to. Uh, if we have those examples of, of, you know, whether that be Camden or other places or just an example of some place that spends as much on social well-being as is spent on policing or maybe more on social well-being than in, in policing, those types of examples and how well that works for our community, what problems were solved by that change, that's what we're talking about with solutions journalism. So I, I apologize for not having more examples on this particular subject because it's not something that I am very well versed in, but I know that that reporting is being done and we've got lots of those examples on our website. Con continuing along, uh, Anna, I want to make it a little bit of a lighter note. I'm, I'm, we've talked about this database of stories, and you literally can type in anything. I type in baseball, I get a story about how in Japan they recycle baseball bats and turn them into chopsticks. I type in comedy, I read about a DC nonprofit that has civilians working with veterans groups using comedy, improv, and storytelling uh, to deal with improving their mental health. What's the most non-traditional group that has come to you looking for help? Is there a, a, a particular uh, place that might, you might say, oh, I don't know if we necessarily could benefit from this, but they come to you and ideally they do. You know, with this, with this, I, I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question, but I will okay. tell you that there are many, many ways that we work with different people. And so it's really, are we talking about whatever work, whatever collaboration that we do, is it going to be creating better journalism and in particular better solutions journalism? And that's what we're talking about and, and what our aim is. Um, I really love the examples that you gave there because <laughs> there's just so many different ways to get at a problem. I'm gonna actually go back to what you had mentioned before you were talking about you know, California. I mentioned wildfire, another big issue that we have here and many other places in the country experience, high levels of homelessness. So when you're talking about solutions journalism, you know, the, we, it's very difficult to say, here's the solution to homelessness. There might be really fun things of ways that we're approaching um, homelessness that's really quirky and different, um, you know, giving the example that you had, which was not to homelessness, but around, you know, a magician working with folks to, you know, help them with whatever their situations were in the prison. But a lot of what we're talking about is like really focusing in on a problem. So homelessness is this, it's not one problem. It's really thousands of problems in and of themselves. So there might be really quirky and interesting and different ways that we approach homelessness. Um, and there may be just some really straightforward ways, but really investigating that thing. So for example, um, when we talk about homelessness, um, one issue around homelessness is, um, women who are victims of domestic violence, who have experienced domestic violence and are trying to escape and, and get away from their abusers. There's a very large population of people who've experienced this on the street, mostly women. A program or a solution, an approach to keeping those women from living on the streets and, and giving them some sort of a safety net where they have some training to be able to get a job or maybe set up with some, some interviews, uh, a place to stay, maybe a first month's rent, you know, and deposit to, to get into uh, more permanent housing. Those are the types of things that we were talking about when we were talking about uh, solutions journalism. 
one solution story that I, I know I saw when I lived in Cleveland was, you know, there's a restaurant in Cleveland that has a program for fine dining for people who have been incarcerated after they come out of incarceration, they work there and they learn to be a sommelier or they learn to, um, you know, be a butcher or they learn to, you know, be a fine dining restaurateur. I actually ate in that restaurant and it was probably one of the best fine dining experiences and I know that what they were doing had really great outcomes um, in terms of the solutions that it was creating for making a career and a future for people coming out of, out of uh, incarceration who often would end up on the streets. What are the characteristics of the groups that come to you? Because journalism right now, there seems to be a, a morale uh, problem. Uh, because of the corporate takeovers and the, the hedge fund takeovers. Um, so what are you finding about the, the characteristics of the groups that come to you? When we talk about um, the groups that come to us, I mean, you know, most, of, most of what we're talking about are newsrooms or individual journalists. And really, I think we see it, it runs the gamut of our partners. We've got partners that are very small, non-traditional newsrooms that are just doing something very different. Um, I've reached out with and had conversations with newsrooms that a lot of their outreach is through text message or um, innovation of things that they're trying to do on WhatsApp to reach out to Spanish speaking and immigrant communities that that is where people are. They're not, they're not paying attention to podcasts in the same way that I may. Um, they're not watching the nightly news like my parents might be. Um, so really we see like everything from the traditional, you know, uh, Washington Post, New York Times, to really very different innovators in news. Um, but really what they have in common is an interest in doing solutions. Sometimes it's a newsroom-wide thing. Sometimes it's something that one editor is very excited about. Sometimes that is a reporter who's trying to educate themselves and do better journalism. What are okay. you finding about the next generation of journalists and how much they embrace this and what, uh, I guess, what their morale is with regards to this? I have so much hope that journalism moving forward is going to be full of solutions journalism. Whatever that balance and that right number is of like how much solutions versus how many problem stories should be in a newspaper or on a news website or on a radio feed or whatever that is, um, I think that the next generation of journalists is going to answer that question. Because when I speak to young people, they are the most responsive, the most receptive, and they just get it because they know that they don't want to only read about what's wrong. I mean, think about it. We live in a time when the WHO, you know, the World Health Organization, and the CDC are telling us, watch less news, listen to less news, consume less news um, in your reading for your mental health. This is not good for our industry. And, you know, I would wager a guess that it often could not be good for, you know, the future of democracy. We need people to be educated and know what's going on, but we also need to give people news that is insightful and not puffery, but, but really gives them some hope. Like when we talk about solutions journalism, we're not talking about hopeful journalism, but sometimes we say it's hope with teeth. So we've got evidence of how well a response is working and what limitations are there. And it's really useful. 
Hope with teeth. I like that. All right. So let me flip, flip it the other way. What's the number one piece of advice that you would have for someone who wants to teach people how to do what essentially what you're trying to do? Well, call my colleague, uh, Sarah Catania. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we do, we do so much around, you asked us like, what is it that we do? And a lot of what we're doing is in newsrooms, but we, you know, we, we manage the story tracker um, and we do outreach to um, we do outreach to colleges. So we do outreach with colleges that are like journalism schools who are trying to teach journalism, but we also do outreach to colleges who want to use solutions journalism in their teach their teaching of urban planning or, you know, something around the environment. Um, whatever the subject matter is, it's, you know, you already mentioned it, it's there on our story tracker. So we try to offer that um, so everyone can be edified by it. Before we go, I did mention your TED Talk, which you did in 2015, and I'll link to it in the notes. I know there's another one you like from radio host Celeste Headley that she did this year. Can you speak to the message of what you and Celeste were trying to get across? Really what my point with, was with that is that we really need to listen to one another. Interesting thing about that, when you talk about listening to other one another, we have a whole program at um, Solutions Journalism Network that is about complicating the narratives. And my colleague, Helen Bianduti Hofer, runs that program. We train journalists in really how to have deeper conversations where we're not just taking that most incendiary comment and, and uplifting that, but how do we really build in more nuance into our journalism? I think it's really important what, what we do with that complicating the narrative, but it's also important because it lends to better solutions journalism because we have to have deeper conversations to have just better journalism in general. All right, so my last question, uh, we asked that everyone that comes on this uh, program paid forward. Do you have an organization, journalism organization that you would like to salute? Okay, so this is really hard because I've got a long list. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> so I'm gonna go with first um, NPR's Next Generation Radio. That is the organization that I mentor with. Um, that's run by Doug Mitchell. I love Doug. Doug has been a mentor for me and so many other people. And there's, it's just a family of mentors where the mentors are mentored by mentor editors and on and on and on. It, it's, it's just a really great organization. Um, and you can read more about that on the web. They have their website. Uh, also gather, I think that's been mentioned before. Um, gather mm -hmm. really works with people who are trying to do community outreach and really involve the community in the journalism that's being done. I am very active on the journalists of color Slack and that was put up together by a group of people, but including Benet Wilson, um, who's just a really great journalist and editor with the points guy, but just, just a really great mentor for so many people. I'd mentioned Press On. Um, I've been working very closely with Lewis Wallace there. Um, they do a lot of training for journalists that are just trying to do a better job of not using the wrong language and uh, being oppressive to certain communities in the reporting that we do. So I really think they're doing a great job there. And I'm gonna wrap that up with uh, Journalism That Matters and that um, the president of Journalism That Matters is Ashley Alvarado who is also a friend and mentor of mine and just amazing journalist who is trying to fix the industry, make it better, and support so many journalists. Michelle, thank you for joining us. Best of luck with your group. Absolutely.
My biggest takeaway from talking with Michelle was that what this group is suggesting is a supplement to the fundamentals of journalism, the who, what, when, where, and why that many of us were taught. A good journalist should be adaptable and open to learning new things. The Solutions Journalism Network has trained more than 18,000 journalists from 300 news organizations and over 30 journalism schools are using their curricula. Learn more at solutionsjournalismnetwork.org. I recommend the news story database that Michelle talked about. The Journalism Salute is dedicated to the memory of Dr. Robert Cole, known as Father Journalism at Trenton State College, the College of New Jersey. Dr. Cole impacted hundreds of students in his 33 years at the school, and I think he would have embraced the slogan of this group, Hope with Teeth. And this wraps up this edition of the Journalism Salute. Thanks to my guest, Michelle Faust-Ragavan. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us. We'll be back with another episode next week.